Hey, before I jump into today's message, I want to take a moment to say thank you for last uh, Sunday. If you are new to Forest Park, Maybe this is the first time you've been here in a while. Last Sunday, uh, the church took a moment to celebrate my family and I. We've been here 20 years leading Forest Park, and the whole service was dedicated to that. It was just beautiful to be able to sit here and watch some videos of people who sent in some thanks and uh, just kind of take a trip down memory lane, if you will, about all the things that have been accomplished. And then we had a wonderful dinner in the lobby, and it was wonderful. I just want to say thank you for those of you who helped do anything, whether you helped cook something or decorate or tear down or clean up, or if you just attended. I appreciate it very much. It meant a lot to my family, meant a lot to me, and uh, thank you for your, for your time. All right, I want to jump into a message today called uh, the most wonderful time of the year, question mark. Is it the most wonderful time of the year? And I want to begin by asking you a question. I want you to think through this with me. What is your favorite season of the year? Now, if we went around this room and I surveyed everybody, a lot of you would probably say this time. You just love the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas with all the parties and gifts and music and food and pumpkin spice, everything. You enjoy it. But how many of you would say, you know what, I, I enjoy this time of the year. It's, it's certainly fun, but I love spring. You're a spring person. Anybody? Just lift your hand if you're a spring person. You love all the, you know, the fall stuff's fine, but you, you like the flowers beginning to bloom and the grass cutting and putting away all the winter coats and gloves. How about summer people? Do we have any summer people in the room? <laughs> the hotter the better, right? Yeah. All the cookouts and baseball and beach and all the different things that come with that. Any winter people in here? Winter. You just love winter. You just love depression, mood swings, death. Okay. All right. We know who you are. Well, you know, not only does uh, our world have seasons, but so does life. Life filled with seasons. There's spring, and it represents renewal, hope again, fresh starts. There's summer, rest, warmth, celebration. Then there's fall, and that represents winds of change and reflection, maybe harvesting what you planted. And also there's winter, discouragement, loneliness, saying goodbye. So here's my question that I really want to begin with, and I want you to work your way through this because this is going to set up everything else that I say today. What is the season you are currently in right now? How would you describe your current season? Now, when I say season, I'm, I'm not really talking about spring in the sense that you maybe are in your 20s and you're just beginning life or summer, maybe you're in your 30s or 40s or fall, you know, because you're older or winter is because you're much older. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where are you seasonally, emotionally? Where are you with what you are currently facing in life right now? Because some of us go through spring and we go through fall and we go through summer, we go through winter, and we go through those things a variety of different times throughout our life. In fact, you may be 70 years old today, and you are in summertime. Things are wonderful in your life right now. The sun is shining. You are in celebration. Everything's awesome. You could be 25, and you're going through a winter time right now. Things are cold in your life. Things feel as if uh, are falling off around you in relationships, your job, finances. I don't know. So my question as we begin is, how do you describe your current season? And then a follow-up to that is how long have you been in that season? A couple of good questions, aren't they? Because many of us never process life by naming our current season. But we all are in a season. 
every single person in this room, we are in a particular season, and we've all been in this season for a certain amount of time. Some of us have left summer, and we are now into fall, and we just left summer a few weeks ago, and we just entered into some fall things going on in our life that's bringing about some changing and maybe some, some dying and some things that are not as bright and as cheerful. Or maybe we've entered into the fall of our life because we're harvesting now some things that we planted years ago and what we're harvesting is good. Others of us planted some things that are not so good years ago and we are now harvesting some, some pretty ugly things in our life. So age has really nothing to do with it. I just want to know where are you emotionally, relationally, spiritually, financially, where are you in the seasons of life and how long have you been there? And, and here's why I ask that question. Over the next few minutes, I want to name a few seasons of life, and I want to provide some wisdom. So whether you are in a wonderful sunny season of life, or you are in a cold and dark season of life, or maybe somewhere in between, or you're in transition, if you will, I want you to walk out of this room today and have some wisdom that you can put into practice in your life so you can navigate the current season you're in better than maybe when you walked in here. Or the season that is around the corner, and you don't, you don't know about it. You know, seasons change quickly, and, and you don't know that it's around the corner, but it is. You'll walk out of here today with some notes. You'll walk out of here today with some thoughts, some scriptures, some truth, and you can apply that to your life and be prepared for whatever happens to come your way, okay? When God created the earth... He, he set up seasons of weather. Here's what Genesis 8.22 tells us. As long as the earth remains, there will be springtime and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night. As long as the earth remains, we're going to have seasonal changes. Seasonal changes is the way God set things in motion. God also established seasons of life. Relational, physical, spiritual, emotional seasons of life. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. So there is a season for everything we go through, every single thing that we experience. It is seasonal. It won't last forever. Even though we want to you know, hold it and keep it, it's not going to last forever. Things change. Some good things are around the corner, some tough things are around the corner, but that's the way life is. I love the way the New Century Version translates it. Everything on earth has its special season. Everything. Everything. A few years ago, I came across what is called five facts about the seasons of life. And I cataloged this because I wanted to keep it, remember it preach it, give it to other people, teach it in counseling, whatever I could do. Pastor Rick Warren was the original author of this, and I just learned this from him, and I just want to share it with you because it's helped me, and my hope is that it will help you as well. So I'm just going to kind of take it and dump it into your life. These are five facts about the seasons of life. Number one, you can't control the seasons of life. You are not in control. I am not in control. We can't control how they happen, and we can't control how long they happen. And often a new season comes at the most inconvenient time when you are not ready. All of a sudden, your season changes. And when it arrives, your schedule is thrown out, and you have to redirect every single thing. Because here's the deal, folks. We are one phone call away from a different season. We are one text away from a different season. We are one diagnosis away from a different season. We are one job away from a different season. 
We are just a few years away from a different season as our kids maybe move out of the house or one of our children gets married or one of our kids have grandchildren. We're just a little ways away from the next season in life. And you can't control that and you can't determine how long it's going to last. Seasons come and seasons go. And there are going to be times when you grieve. That is your season of life. You grieve. It could be due to an illness Either you or someone you love, and you can't control it. It just happens, and all of a sudden, you were happy, and you were healthy, and you were smiling, and all of a sudden, you were plummeted into a season of grief, a season of pain. It happens. It is the way life is. If you're a parent, your kids are eventually going to grow up. Some of you are like, really? Is that actually going to happen? Will my kids really grow up? Yes, your kids will grow up. And they will move away, or at least they will move out of your house. And there'll be a sense of loss, and you'll go through a season where it's the empty nest feeling. And then maybe they'll get married and have children and return to you by way of grandchildren. New season in your life happens. Waiting is a season of life. Man, we spend a lot of time waiting. We're just waiting. Waiting for her to show up. Waiting for him to get married. Waiting for the... The, the new job to call and, and say you're hired, waiting for your classes in college to roll out the way they need to, waiting, waiting, waiting. We're in a lot of waiting. Maybe you're waiting on a job, waiting on your spouse, waiting on the Cowboys to win a Super Bowl. I don't know. You're waiting, waiting, waiting. You're always waiting. Number two, second fact is you will never fully understand seasons. You'll try your best to wrap your mind around some things and you will never understand them. And you will think, why is this happening to me? I don't get it. As a pastor, I've sat across the table for many people. I've sat in my office on many occasions. I've sat in hospital rooms, waiting rooms. I've been in funeral homes. And in a roundabout way, people want to ask, and they do ask, why? Why, why did I have to say goodbye so early? Why, why is this happening to me right now? Why, why, why am I diagnosed with this illness? Why? Did I lose my job? Why can I, not, can I not retire the way that I thought I was going to be able to? And it's hard. It's hard to give answers when you don't have any answers and you're not sure why. There are some things in my life that I look back on them and I finally have figured out why I went through what I went through or why this happened or that happened. But there are other things that I've gone through. I have racked my brain around it. I have done everything I can. I've, I've asked people for wisdom. I've read books. I've done everything. And I still don't understand why certain things happened in my life. I don't know. Understanding usually follows an experience. Rarely are you going to understand it when you're in it. When you're in it, you're, you're, you're so immersed in the emotions of it and the pain of it. You're not sure what's going on. You've got to get some distance. So sometimes I've gone through some very painful things, and in the middle of it, I'm just like, God, where are you? In the middle of it, I'm just racking my brain. I have to get away from it for a few years and look back and go, okay, that makes so much more sense now. Now that I can see the full picture, understanding usually follows an experience. Looking back on your life, you have a far greater perspective than you have looking ahead. However, there are some things you're never going to understand. You can keep trying. You can keep asking. You're just never going to understand it. And those of us who follow Jesus, we have to learn to walk out our life by faith, not by explanations. Now, that doesn't mean we should stop seeking explanations or stop seeking wisdom. I say go for it. Ask the questions. 
pursue knowledge. Sit down with people wiser than you, further down the road than you. They can give you perspective. They may be able to explain some things, and you'll have that, that sense of, ah, I get it. But there's going to be other things. It just doesn't matter. You're not going to get it. You're not going to understand it. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God does everything just right and on time, but people can never completely understand what he's doing. I love that translation because it makes it so simple. God does things right on time and, and just the right way, but we cannot see everything because we don't have the perspective that we need to understand everything. Our brain capacity isn't big enough to understand why life turns and twists the way it does. We, we just can't see it all. We don't understand it all. And sometimes that gap, you're just going to have to go, you know what? I'm just going to have to trust that one day things are going to make a lot more sense. I'm going to have to trust that one day I'm going to get far enough away from it, high enough that I can see the big picture and things are going to go, okay, okay, that makes a lot more sense. The third fact about seasons is there is a purpose for every season. The lonely seasons, the sad seasons, the seasons of success, the seasons of waiting, the seasons of grief, on and on. There is a purpose for every season. And if you happen to be going through a very difficult time right now and you feel like you're in the, the winter, if you will, seasonally, of your life. Here's a scripture you should tuck away. Memorize this. Memorize it in several different translations. Whatever you can do to get the twist and turn of this scripture and get it so deep down inside of you. Memorize it. Quote it to yourself. Read it again and again and again. And it's Romans 8.28. This is from the New Living Translation. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You've heard that scripture. You've heard it preached. But there's two important things about this scripture you need to know. Number one, all things do not work together for good for everybody in the world. That is not what the scripture says. It doesn't say that no matter what happens in life, eventually everything will work out together for good. That's not what it says. It says they work together for good to those who love God and are fitting into his plans. In other words, you're trusting him with what you're doing, and therefore, he will make sure everything works together for good. Now, maybe that's hard for us to wrap our mind around, or we're not really sure how, how that you know, kind of works. Maybe the best way to illustrate that would be this. Let's imagine, as a parent, you have a child who comes to you. Let's imagine you have a, a, a child who's maybe in their later teen years or early adult years, and they come and they say, Mom, I've, I've really made some very poor decisions in my life. I've made some decisions and now I've got some consequences coming my way. I'm broken, I'm hurt, I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm regretful, I'm remorseful, I'm repentant. Whatever word that they try to describe the pain that they've caused. And you as a parent sit down and say, okay, because you love them and they're your child, you want to help them. And you say, okay, here's the first thing we need to do. And you kind of map out a plan for them. And you call in some other people who are wiser than you. And you bring in maybe their brothers and sisters. Maybe you bring in your spouse. As a family, you get together and you start talking about what you can do to piece things together and, and work this thing out to the best of everybody's abilities and to the best of everybody's interest. And your, your daughter says, okay, mom, I'll do whatever I need to do. Your son says, okay, it doesn't matter, Dad. Whatever we need to do, let's do it. And you work together, and it ultimately works out for the best. That's one situation. 
Now imagine the other situation, your son, your daughter comes to you, the same issue, same problems. You lay out a plan, you talk to them, you tell them how much you love them, and there's going to be some consequences that are going to come your way, but we're going to work this together as a family, and here's what I've gone through, and here's what your dad has gone through, and you're, you're bringing out the wisdom, of the collected wisdom, and your son or daughter says, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to continue to walk down my path. I'm going to continue to do what I want to do. And whatever happens, happens. Now, you can see in the first situation, everything could work together for good. In the second situation, you're not promised everything will work together for good. So that scripture promises that God will cause everything to work together for good as long as we take all the broken pieces of our life and give them to him and say, you take it. I can't do it on myself. I don't know how, but you do. And he says, his promise is that if you will give me all the broken pieces and you will trust me and you will let me lead you, I will take everything that has happened and I will weave it together and work it together for your good. If you will simply submit yourself, surrender yourself, hand over the broken mess of your life. The second thing we need to know about that, that passage is it doesn't say all things are good. It does not say all things are good. Not all things are good in this world. There's a lot of bad things. It says God causes everything to work together for good, but not all things are good. He will cause everything to work together for good for those who give him all the pieces to work with. God, you take it, I can't. Even the ugly pieces, even the bad pieces, even the disappointing pieces, even the embarrassing pieces, even the rebellious pieces, even the addicting pieces, even of all the mess, you take it, God. You take it. And he says he will take those pieces. And in his infinite wisdom and power, he will work those pieces together for good. The fourth fact about the seasons of life is there are good seasons and there are bad seasons. Life is full of contrasts. We go through mountains and we go through valleys. We go through successes and we go through failures. We have winnings and we have losing periods of our life. All kinds of different seasons. And some are good and some are not good. Ecclesiastes 3, 2 through 8, I highly recommend you read that passage in its detail, 2 through 8. There are 28 different experiences, Ecclesiastes says, we go through in life. I'm not going to read all 28 of them to you, but they're there. Ecclesiastes begins and says that there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to laugh and a time to cry, a time to find and a time to lose. I mean, have you ever had a problem trying to figure out, should I hold on or should I let go? Do I have, should I hold on to this dream and keep pursuing it? Or maybe I just need to realize this dream is not going to become a reality and I need to kind of move on to a different dream. You ever have the question, should I hold on to this relationship? Should I let go of this relationship? That, that's what it's talking about. There's a time for this and a time for that. We're seasonal and things happen and you've got to seek wisdom in the middle of all of that. That's, that, that's difficult. It's hard. It's not easy. But God says there's a time for both, and you have to discern which is the time. Do I hold on? Do I let go? Do I keep moving? Do I stop? Do I find? Do I lose? What about this one? There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. Some things you need to let go of. Some things you need to hold on to, no matter what. There's a time to hug, and there's a time not to hug. It literally means in the Hebrew, that there's a time to have sex and there's a time not to have sex, but they didn't want to 
put it that way in this translation, so they just said hug. So there you go. There's a time to speak up, and there's a time to be quiet. Well, I don't know. Should I say something? I don't know. Should you? Well, just tell me what to do. It depends. It depends on the season. It depends on what's happening. Well, well how do I know that I should say something or not say something? That's, that's discernment. That's, that's wisdom. That's, that's figuring out the season of life you're in. Do you stand up and say something? Are you quiet right now? Depends on the situation. There's a season for everything. Remember the song Ray Stevens used to sing many years ago? Some, some of our oldest folks, like George, will remember this song, Everything is Beautiful in Its Own Way. You remember that song? Oh, that's a lie. Because everything is not beautiful. Everything's not beautiful. Cancer's not beautiful. Child abuse is not beautiful. War is not beautiful. Everything is not beautiful in its own way. And I get the point that the song is making. I understand that if we look hard enough, we can find a silver lining and there's beautiful things almost in everything, but it is definitely not universal. There's a lot of ugly things in this world. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God makes everything beautiful in its own time. It's not that it is beautiful in its own way. It's that God can make everything beautiful in its own time. You can look back on something that was extremely ugly and you can say, you know what? God took that and he made it beautiful in my life. That's different that just everything is automatically beautiful. No, it's not. God takes bad things. In the proper season, he turns them around. He uses them for good. And some of you right now, you are going through a season that is beautiful. And some of you are going through a season right now, and it is ugly. That is all there is to it. It is ugly. Your finances, ugly. Your health, ugly. Your relationship, your marriage, your friendships, they look ugly. Your future looks ugly and you look into the distance and all you see is more pain and more hurt. But God says that if you will gather up all those jagged, bloody, ugly pieces, no matter how messed up they are, and you will put them all together and put them at his feet and say, God, here they are. You take the ugliness. You take the messed up stuff. You take my, my fear. You take my worry. You take my regrets. You take my sin. You take it all. You take it, and you make something out of it. He says he will. He will make all things beautiful in its time. The fifth fact, probably one of the most important when it comes to practicality is this. What you sow in one season, you will reap in another season. This is so important that we understand this. Every farmer gets this. You plant in the spring and you harvest in the fall. You don't plant in the spring and harvest the next day. There's time in between the planting and the reaping. And if you plant good seed, you get a good harvest. If you plant bad seed, you're not going to get a good harvest. It doesn't work that way. You plant nothing, you get nothing. That's the way it is. So you always plant in one season and you always harvest in another season. So the point of that is keep moving forward. Don't give up no matter what season you're in. Know that if you planted good things, you will eventually reap some of those good things in your life, but it's going to take time. 
It's going to take patience. It's going to take waiting. That is why Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not be weary in doing well, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, what would happen to a farmer who planted a field of uh, good seed, plants corn, goes back the next day, doesn't see any corn coming up, goes back a week later, doesn't see any corn coming up, gets frustrated and moves out of town. Well, he's not going to get the harvest he planted because he gave up, and guess what's going to happen? Someone else will probably reap what he sowed. That happens a lot. So my question to you in this part is, what are you planning today you will reap tomorrow? Is it good? Is it not so good? Well, those, those are the five facts, five realities about seasons. And you can't deny them. It, they are what they are. You can't alter them. You can't change them. They are the realities of seasons. Now, for the balance of this message, just a few minutes, what I want to do is make this as practical as I can and help you respond to whatever season you're in in the most healthy way you possibly can. So you will receive from the season what is the best and you will not mess it up, screw it up, walk away too quickly, etc. Okay? Very important that you understand this because some of us, our life is tough and we need some practical wisdom. So two things I'm going to give you. Number one, seasons are shaped by what you say. Now this is going to take a moment to explain but this is something that I've learned from others and I've, I've, I've had it confirmed in my own life. Let me ask you a very difficult question, especially for those of you who are going through a tough time right now. What are you saying about your current season? How are you describing it? What words are you using? Because our response, the reason that's important is because our response to our season determines our perception of the season. And our perception of the season determines how we experience that season. A few of us are currently in a beautiful season. It's a season of deep reflection and, reflection and lasting transformation. But it's not how we see it. We're in a character-forming season. We are in a wonderful season, a good season, but our attitudes stink. And the words we use to describe where we are right now, horrible. And because we use terrible words, we're perceiving the current season we're in in a very poor way, and we're not getting out of that season all that that season has to offer us. We speak about our current season as a burden rather than beautiful. We want to get out of it as quickly as we can. We complain to God. We complain to ourselves. We complain to others. We bellyache. We see nothing good out of it. And because we don't see anything good, we don't speak anything good. Best way I know to illustrate that is from the mess of my own life. Three children, Evan, Ashlyn, Cameron. They were all just a few years apart, so they were all home around the same time, just a you know, few grades above and below. My wife, Lana, worked for nearly 20 years for the state of North Carolina and traveled a lot. So I was home pastoring here. We had just moved here, doing the best I could to get the church moving and kind of get it off the ground. And for a long time, I had to do a lot of different things around the church. Other than just preaching, I had to also do a variety of other things. 
So we had a busy life, and our kids were little. I often took them to school, picked them up. My wife, Lana, left early in the morning since she'd be gone a lot because of traveling and different things like that. And I remember we went, when we got the home we're in now, we went and got a new dining room table. We had never owned a table before, so we, we bought a decent table, and we put it in the, the dining room, and, and uh, we wanted to keep it as nice as we could. Well, those of you who have children know that as your kids get into elementary and then they start to get into middle school, they have projects that they've got to do, right? They've got paint and they've got glue and they've got different things they have to make. And my son was notorious for telling me about a science project 36 hours before it was due, you know. And you run to Walmart or wherever you can and buy all the stuff and get home and crash to get it ready because he's got to turn it in the next day or two days later or whatever. And I remember my, my kids, you know, sitting down at the kitchen table to the dining room table to get the projects going and I'd put paper down or I'd put newspaper down or I'd put different things on the table because I wanted to make sure they didn't mess up the table. And I had so many other things to do. I just wanted them to hurry up and I remember morning after morning after morning trying to rush them out the door so I could get them to school so I could get to church and do things more important and now I got to do science projects and Lana would come home and she would try to get involved and help and we would, you know, partner together to get their projects done for them and I just remember getting so upset when they would get paint on the table or glue on the table. Or they would write their name and Evan, you know, my son would be a little hard with his name and it would go through the paper and make an indentation on the table. And I would look at it and think, oh my goodness, you're, you're messing up the dining room table. And, you know, can't you go to your room and, you know, why, why didn't you tell me earlier? And, you know, you're getting paint on the table and you're getting glue on the table. And then my girls both wanted, you know, their nails done. And then there was fingernail polish remover and then there's fingernail polish. And, you know, it's all this stuff. And I'm just thinking, doesn't anybody care that I'm trying to save the world, you know? as a pastor and my kids are messing everything up at the table I, I just I couldn't see it right I couldn't see the beauty of that season I, I, I couldn't see the fact that my children were all under the same house at night and I knew where they were and I loved them and we had a wonderful family I couldn't see it because I didn't use the right words. I, I, I saw it as frustrating. I saw it as, why didn't you tell me earlier? I saw it as, you're messing up the dining room table. I saw it as, how am I ever going to get the glue off that table? And, and that's how I saw it. That's the, those are the words I used, so it messed up the season we were in. Because you see, now that all three of my kids are gone, I look at that table, and what do I think now? Memories. I remember when they were in sixth grade. I remember when they were in seventh grade. What a beautiful time we had when we all sat around the table and ate. The table that was such a frustrating thing during that season has now become such a monument of memory. So now when my grandsons come over to the house, I don't care what they do. Want to mess up the table? Mess it up. It's just a piece of wood. That's how grandparents see things differently, right? Because you were in the season when you were younger and you got frustrated, but then as you got older, you realized that tables are no big deal. Kids are big deals. Your season change. But I didn't see it the right way. James 1, 2 through 4, for the message. Consider it a sheer gift. A sheer gift, friends, 
When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work. So you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. We try to get out. We try to get out. We try to get out of the season. And the season is teaching us something. The season is maturing us. The season, you know what I should have been doing at that time? That I look back at it now and I realize if I'd have let it do, do its work and I really would have paid attention, I'd have been saying things like this. Why am I allowing a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a ten-year-old to make me so upset? Why do I care more about the table than I do my relationship with them? Why, why am I allowing this to affect so many things in my life? If I would have seen it the right way, I would have talked differently. You see, you see, some of us will never get through, or I should say we'll never grow beyond where we currently are emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically, and we'll never become more productive because we try to get out of everything prematurely. We don't let it continue its work. So wherever you are, Learn to serve where you are and learn every single lesson you possibly can where you are in your season and plant the best seed you possibly can. Because guess what? What you plant now, you will reap later. So God will use every single season. But you better check your attitude. Check your attitude. All right, number two. Other message I want to give you out of this. Strengths have... Seasons have strengths you can seize. Last major point. What does that mean? Right now, whatever your season, there are strengths you can seize, but you have to see them. Which means you have to look for them. If you fail to see the strengths in your current season due to poor attitude, you will miss opportunities to maximize your current season. Whatever your season is, you have an opportunity right now to emerge from that season a better person if you will locate the strengths and take advantage of them. One more illustration out of my life that we're going to close. Several years ago, this is probably 12 years ago or so, I entered into an arid spiritual season. Very, very, very difficult. Never experienced anything like it before. It seemed as if I had lost all spiritual connection with God. I mean, I just, I felt nothing but loss, darkness, spiritual loneliness. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there. Prayer did not seem to help. Reading scripture was torture. No one's counsel worked. Man, I, I thought I was coming apart on the inside. And I had to preach every week. I had to get up and teach. I had to get up and preach and lead a church that was growing in multiple services. I didn't know what to do. I tried everything. Nothing seemed to work. So I turned to one of the few comforts and support I had, books. And I love to read. I thought, well, I'll just read myself out of this mess. You know, I don't know what to do. And uh, I picked up one of Philip Yancey's books called Prayer. I began to read it. And in the middle of that book, a little light broke through, very little light broke through. Philip began to describe my current season, I mean, he described it perfectly. Dryness, barrenness, darkness, a parched spiritual place, worse than I'd ever experienced before. He explained how certain types, and this is the thing that began to speak to me. He, he talked about how certain types of trees during a drought 
when no water is, is coming into them, they will take their roots and push really deep down into the soil. They're even so strong, they will break through rocks, they will break through the dry dirt, they will in search of water. And then when the rains do come and eventually they will come or they find water because their roots have spread out so wide and so deep, those trees really take on strength and begin to grow and are stronger than the trees around them. Man, I was sitting in the doctor's office waiting on Evan. Evan was, I think it's still in high school at the time. And I was sitting in the doctor's office. I still see where I was sitting. And I read that part of the book. And I remember closing the book and it occurring to me that I was just like one of those trees. And that right now was a season in my life where the roots were going deeper than they've ever been before. And all of a sudden, I closed the book. I was still... It wasn't some miracle. I didn't go home floating on air. I remained dry. I remained barren for at least a year, another year. But it was a season that was hard and difficult, but my roots began to grow. And during that season, I read probably 25 books. I purchased probably 50 more. I began to read different authors. I began to read different takes on Scripture and as a result of that, my perspective on God, on Jesus, on the Bible, everything changed radically. And I cannot, I, can, I am not the person I was prior to that season. And I wouldn't want to go through it again. But then again, I wouldn't want to live life without going through it, if that makes sense. That was me. There was something in that season I needed. And it was in that season that my roots went deeper. And it was in that season that I began to read brighter. And it was in that season that I began to change and shift and morph. I needed something. I don't know. But it was a strength that I finally seized and brought it into my life by reading, by thinking. I want to show you one more thing interesting and then, then we're going to go. Okay? I'll make it real quick. Luke 15. One of my favorite stories, the prodigal son. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. You know it. Well, I shouldn't say you know it. Some of you may not. But the gist of the story is the young son goes to his dad and says, Dad, I want all my inheritance. I don't want to wait till you die. Give it to me now. So his dad gives him the inheritance. The young son goes out, blows it all on wild living, does whatever he wants to do, ends up broke. Comes home broken, poor, dirty, doesn't have anything. The father, instead of cursing his son, instead of punishing his son, throws his arms around his son, kisses his son, puts a ring on his finger, robe on him, shoes on his feet, loves him, throws a party, kills the fatted calf, and they celebrate that the son has come home. Famous story, well-known story. But there's another character in that story, and that is the, young, the older son. The older son stayed home and did all the things that his daddy told him to do. The younger son takes all the money, goes out, wastes it, comes home, throws the party, and the older son is ticked off. And he goes to his dad and says to his dad, this is in Luke 15, basically this, look at how many years, dad, that I have stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? No. Then this son of yours goes out, wastes all the money, comes home, and you throw a party for him. What's up with that? Here's the interesting thing. For the older son, staying home 
and working in the fields with his father was the older son's season. From the older son's perspective, he didn't see that season well. He saw his father as boring and mundane, and he had no purpose, and he had no reason. So his younger son goes off and wastes the money, comes home, and his dad throws a party for him. And he's just jealous and angry because you've never thrown a party for me. And here's the phrase that I want you to get. This is from the message uh, translation. His father says to his older son, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time, and everything that is mine is yours. He couldn't see the season he was in. The older son was in a season where he didn't feel loved nor appreciated by his father, but because of his poor attitude, he missed the fact that everything he desired was already at his disposal, but he missed it because he saw his dad as a boring, mundane father rather than a graciously loving father who would throw a party for anybody if he just asked. How do you see your season? How do you see your season? Are you complaining and whining and, God, this is not fair? Or are you saying, God, I don't know why I'm in this season, but there are things about it I need to learn. Teach me. Are you saying, God, my whole life is messed up and there's no hope? Or are you saying, God, here are all the pieces. Take them and make something of them. What are you saying? What are you seizing? What are you saying? What are you seizing? On the first one, what am I saying? And really on the second one, what am I seizing? If you say, Scott, I'm not really sure what I'm saying. I really can't see what I'm saying. Here's a great exercise for you. Ask the person closest to you. Ask your husband, ask your wife, hey, can you tell me something uh, How's my attitude? Because I really can't see it. Your husband might say, well, mm, your attitude's pretty bad. You complain, you, you mumble, you grumble all the time, you're frustrated all the time. What are you seizing? I don't know. Am I taking advantage of this time or am I not? Am I looking for strength? Ask the person closest to you. Your wife might tell you, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your best friend, your son, your daughter might say, Mom, there are so many opportunities for you, but you just, you just seem so sour. You seem so upset all the time. You don't even take advantage of what's around you. And sometimes you can't see it, but the people closest to you can. What am I saying? What am I seizing? Let's pray. Father, we all have seasons we go through. And some of us are in a beautiful season right now. Some of us are in a very difficult season. Some of us are in the summer of our life. Some of us are in the winter. Some of us just came out of summer and we're headed into fall and we see some things changing quickly in our life and we're scared. Others of us have been in winter so long and it's finally spring and we're excited. We're at different places and we're going through different times Father, what I've learned from people smarter than me is that I got to pay attention to what I'm saying. And I got to pay attention to what I'm seizing. I got to take advantage of where I am, learn all I can so that I can let the season finish its work in me 
and I can become the person you've called and gifted me to be. Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see what's going on that is so much bigger than what's in front of us. Help us gain perspective so that we can say the right things and seize the right moments and be able to move into the harvest of good things that we've planted years ago. Teach us. Teach us to take all the things that we've broken and busted into a thousand pieces and lay them at your feet and trust that you will take them and put them back together and make something beautiful out of them. God, bring healing and and wholeness to us. Bring life. Bring a resurrection to us. We are in need of you. We submit ourselves to you. We lay all this mess at your feet and say you are our savior. We can't save ourselves, but you can save us. And we ask these things in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful day, Forest Park. Thank you so much for being with us.